So welcome to another edition of the NCBI podcast. I'm June Tinsley, Head of Advocacy and Communications with NCBI. Um, and today I have the pleasure of having a chat with Kira Barrett, who lives in Cork um, and who is a member of our South Local Advocacy Network. Um, and she's also engaged in some of NCBI services over the last little while. Um, and you're very welcome, Kira, and thanks for taking the time to have a chat with us. Great to talk to you too. Thank you very much. <laughs> um, I suppose, uh, as always, just for the benefit of our listeners, if you could tell us a little bit about yourself. Okay, well, as you said already, I'm Kira Barrett. I live in Cork. I ha- I'm married. I have four kids and I have a vision impairment. So I don't work at the moment. I did work a couple of years ago, but I had to give it up when all this started to happen to me, but hopefully I'll get back there soon again. Great, great. And, and I'm, I'm sure you, you found that transition quite challenging. Um, and uh, do you want to tell us what kind of job you were in beforehand? Well, I worked as a secretary in a local auctioneers um, for the best part of whatever years, a long time anyway. And I decided to step back from it when I started having some health issues. So long story short, my eyes were the first indication that there was something wrong, but they couldn't figure out what the problem was. So it started in 2016 with kind of light flashes in my eyes. And in and out of hospital, no explanation for about 18 months. And eventually in 2017, they diagnosed me with cancer, rectal cancer. It's a strange one, nothing to do with your eyes. But basically, um, they discovered the cancer, treated me for the cancer, got the all clear within a couple of months after surgery and radium and chemo. But my eyesight was still deteriorating and has done since then. Okay. So three consultants later and having to go to London, they eventually diagnosed me actually only in um, January with autoimmune retinopathy, which basically means that I there's two causes for it, that the, I have a cancer in my body and my body is attacking what it believes is cancer, but it's actually, it damaged the cones and rods in my eyes. Okay. So, or it's it basically, it's an autoimmune problem that's yeah. still ongoing and we're still trying to figure out how to stop the deterioration in my eyes. I see. And so I it's suppose... a strange one. And uh, because it's a strange one, I, I'm sure um, it, it, it has added to the length of time for, to receive a diagnosis and subsequently to get a, a treatment plan in operation. Exactly. I still have no treatment plan. We're still trying to figure out what's causing it. And this is nearly five years later, six years since it started, five years since they sorted the cancer out. So it's a struggle and it's it's frustrating that people aren't when I say people, my consultants, doctors, nurses, aren't actually listening to what I'm telling them. They're just saying they don't know what it is. They don't know what it is. And it took me going to London to figure out what the problem was. Yeah, that's exceptionally frustrating, I'd imagine. Um, and, and I suppose from a day-to-day perspective, um, what has been the most difficult part for you um, as your sight loss has deteriorated? 
well, I when they signed me off as being legally blind is the way they put it, because that's what they told me that I'm technically legally blind. And that was the only diagnosis they gave me. I engaged with the NCBI and then disengaged because a lot of the stuff I we managed to figure out ourselves using the phone, using the tablet, cooking, cleaning, washing, whatever you do in the house. You figure it out yourself as you go. But I think it was the lack of support pushed me back to the NCBI that I was finding things very difficult that I couldn't get my head around how invisible I was becoming and how of an how people were treating me general generally sent me back there that I felt invisible that I no longer had an identity that I was the person with the stick or the person that was inconveniencing other people so I was kind of angry for a while that sense but that was kind of my own fault but it's the lack of awareness I couldn't understand how people were not aware of my situation and could see me with the long cane but yet still not give me any room or a little bit of extra time to do things especially when you're out shopping and stuff like that it, it was just tough going and that's why I re-engaged with the NCBI. And tell me Kira, did you find that um, because of course the whole world has been put on top of its head um, due to COVID. Did that, um, I suppose, exacerbate the, the, the feelings that the that other people were not understanding your situation or giving you way or even assisting you in any way? It was it was strange during COVID. Everybody was out and about and I do a lot of walking for mental health just to get me out and about of the house. My parents are great. My dad takes me out. We do 6K every day. And even through COVID, we were doing that. And I found people were giving you that bit of extra space because of social distancing. Yes. But as soon as the regulations started to come down, people were... I don't know whether it was they were just frustrated with everything else, but everything seemed to change. People weren't giving me space. They weren't even acknowledging that I was walking towards them. They'd stop and they'd expect me to walk around them. There was no consideration. It was kind of gone and people were cross and angry. And I still find that. And even if you say something to somebody, um, especially with dogs, I have off lead they're in around my feet they're in around the stick I'm afraid of falling over them and I you'd say do you know you could you not control your dog a bit better or actually in this park where I walk you the dog is supposed to be on a lead and I've said it to a couple of people and it's a case of my dog is entitled to do what I want and I'm standing there saying but I can't see your dog I'm going to fall over doesn't matter I can do what I want it's just people's attitude have changed hugely Wow. I, I can't figure it out. I, I'm kind of the worst. I think the, I'm having extreme reactions to people rather than most of the time they're, they're accommodating, they'll apologise to you. But I think when you're out and about and walking confidently, not necessarily holding on to somebody, they're kind of saying, but she's not really blind. She can see me. She can see the dog and I'm not moving for her. And, and it's just frustrating. How do you feel that that can be changed in any way? I 
I think the biggest thing is education, that we need to educate people out there, that it's just small things you need to do. You don't need to give me 40, 50 feet. You just need to walk around me. You need to just pay more attention, I think, not just to me, but to anybody with a disability, any kind of disability. Just give them a bit more space. It's basic common sense to me. Uh, but I just I can't get my head around how invisible it makes you being labelled with a disability that you're just gone from being a normal person able to do everything else and suddenly people just don't see you anymore they see your disability first and I think education would help an awful lot and it's kids starting with the kids they'll go home and say to their parents they'll educate the parents that way but lots of people just don't know how to react they don't know how to treat people with a disability they freeze it's like a deer in headlights and you say oh no where am I going to go and I suppose some of that is down to the fact that they just don't know how to interact and cope so it's nearly Absolutely. a um a defense mechanism it's not an excuse in any stretch but um as I said, I feel that that is an element to it. And at the at the end of the day, I haven't changed. I'm still the same person as I was six years ago when I could see, when I could work, when I could drive. Nothing's really changed for me. I just do things differently to what I would have done six years ago. I may be slower. I may need a bit of help with some things. But basically, I'm still the same person with the same voice. But yes. it's just people are seeing and hearing and it's it's just so frustrating. And I, I'm actually sorry, sorry I was actually <laughs> you're I was actually shocked that people treat me differently, that they see me differently, they see a person with a disability differently. And it's a shame because we're still the same people. We come from all different walks of life and backgrounds. We are able to do nearly everything that an able-bodied person can do. And uh, what you're describing there, I mean, other people have said the same thing to me as well, that sense of um, invisibility and the sense of uh, a person's identity being changed or perceived to have been changed. Um, and I'm, I'm just curious in terms of... Um, the impact education has has a, a total ripple effect. So by you um, adapting to to life with less vision has also had a repercussions on your friends, I'm sure, which then has a repercussion oh, on how they see you and how they treat people with disabilities in the in the wider community. And has that been a, a good experience for you or a mixed one? A good experience because you. You teach people around you, my support network, family, friends, my kids' friends that come into the house, know how to treat somebody with a disability and what you need and what you don't need. And nine times, even people on the street, if I need help, I'll ask for it and they'll give it willingly. And I find kids are just amazing. Teenagers, yeah. young kids, they're open to learning new stuff. They will help you if you ask for them, not a bother. They won't judge you, whereas lots of the older people will judge. She's not really blind. She can see. She's tracking. Her eyes are tracking me across the room, which <laughs> mine do. And I can see better at night. So not. I don't necessarily need my cane at night because I can okay. see better. And then it happened actually last weekend. Somebody said, 
you're the woman who came in a while ago with the cane. Where's your cane? Why don't you need it now? Are you really <laughs> blind? <laughs> I said, yes to all those questions. <laughs> but once you explain it, they're fine. They're just curious, but people are afraid to ask the question. And I think that's, kids will ask it, not a bother. Why does that lady have a cane? And if I hear it, I'll stop and I'll ask. Or why does that lady have a white stick? You'll stop and you'll answer the kid's question. Whereas an adult will not ask. They're afraid to ask. But if you ask, I'll answer. And I I suppose kids, thankfully, in many regards, have have no filter. Um, So we'll be totally Mm -hmm. honest and we'll want the the truth. And as you rightly say, you're happy to answer truthfully, um, which then educates their parents. But adults are, um, I suppose, reticent and just reluctant to um, either intrude or um, and, and, and too quick to judge as a result of it. Absolutely. They, they judge. Kids don't judge you. Kids just are curious. They just want to know why you're doing things differently. They'll ask, you answer. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Parents tend to judge. Yeah. And, and, and jump to assumptions, um, which could easily be resolved if they asked. Um, and and I suppose that that's come up time and time again from from people I've had the pleasure of chatting with. And tell us, Kieran, in terms of your experience with the the South Lamb, have you enjoyed being part of that experience, or um, and how have you felt it being beneficial? Oh, I think it's fantastic. It's brilliant. It's people who have the disability are explaining what we need and how things help us to to deal with things a bit better and because we're all different some people have like me just started my sight loss journey other people haven't had all their life our experiences are totally different and yet we're still benefiting from it because something they're used to dealing with it I'm not they'll advise me or something that I'm finding difficult at the moment that they're so used to they don't even think twice about it I think it's fantastic all of us have such an input and wide wide input we have everything because everybody's experience matters and And I suppose also um not only does it help the um individuals learn from each other and and build friendships from each other but also um tell us about the kind of the campaign that you're hoping to to roll out with it the traffic light campaign yeah yeah that's one that I got involved in right in the middle I came in late because I've only been involved with the land since I think September of last year and they were starting to do it and one of the things you wouldn't even think about having your sight is crossing the roads at the traffic lights the fact that you can't see whether the man is red or green and then you have difficulty hearing it some traffic lights have the auditory, others don't, others have it very loud, others have it very low. And you would expect at this in this day and age that all traffic lights would be the same, but they're not. And they're rolling that out to make it hopefully that every traffic light, that every new traffic light installed will have the auditory at an appropriate level and give us enough time to cross the road, which was something else that one of us came up with, that there wasn't enough time to cross some lights and how dangerous it can be because you can't hear the lights. 
So hopefully we'll, that will be up and going and every light in the country will be the same and that every every light will have an auditory feature on it as well so that we can hear and cross the road safely and be able to walk about unaccompanied if we want, if we choose. And I, I suppose it goes back to the, your earlier piece about the value of um, the local advocacy networks coming together and having such different experiences of vision impairment and then in turn educating the local authority in, in this case um, as to why there needs to be a consistent approach to traffic lights. Um, it, it's so important that you guys are um, essentially championing and being um, and educators to people. Absolutely. And as my one of my local councillors said, I never even realised that this was a problem for people. And I don't know of it unless people like you come and tell us that we have a problem or that you have a problem that you can't cross the road safely, which you should be able to do. Everybody should be able to do at a crossing, which is where you're supposed to cross the road. So unless we speak up, people don't know about it. Correct. And I suppose literally the county councils and um, town planners and um, the local authorities are, are, are there to serve local communities, um, just like TDs and all that are, are to serve at a more national level. Um, so I, I think the work of the South Local Advocacy Network has been really, really important um, to drive this forward, this whole entire campaign. Absolutely. And there were... And a crazy bunch of people everybody's different and has some input and everybody's listened to and that's what I like no matter whether you're new to it or that you've been in it for a while your opinion matters and it's valued which is great you and feel I, you're I, getting your voice back and to encourage any listeners that if they um are interested in joining any of the, the local advocacy networks um, all details are up on our website or they can drop a quick email to campaigns at ncbi.ie. Um, and here is in the South land, which kind of covers the Cork Kerry region. But there are different local advocacy networks right across the, the country. And each one of them are um, progressing campaigns of, of different kinds, whether it's traffic lights or whether it's uh, there's another one around libraries. Um, it really is what the group choose is the issue to, pro to progress at that time. Um, so it, it, it's really heartening to, to hear the, the traffic light one progressing so well. That's right. And I suppose, Kira, um, just to kind of conclude, is there any um, one piece of advice that you would give to others who are beginning their, their journey on, with sight loss? I suppose it it's... I don't have any one piece of advice. You just need to take it day by day. And there's always somebody there that's willing to listen to you or talk to you. And there's somebody there going through the very same as you. It might take you a while to find them, but that's what the likes of the LAN and the NCBI are there for. It's people with every kind of sight loss there and they will talk to you. And we're all very, very open about our conditions and there's no judgment. If you need help, just ask first, basically. Wise words, wise words. And if anybody is interested in accessing NCBI services, please feel free to, to do so. It, um, we're available right across the country. Uh, the easiest way to get in touch is 
um, or details on our services are available on our website, ncbi.ie. Um, but for now, Kira, I would just like to say thank you very much for um, having a chat with me and uh, I wish you all the best with the, the South LAN. Um, and I 100% agree the, the need for us to, to work together to try and educate um, everybody about the importance of um, understanding more about what it's like to, to live with sight loss. It is a low instance disability. Lots of people don't know about um, how it affects people on a day-to-day -day basis. So I suppose we all have a, a duty to make sure that we educate people. That's so true. But for now, Kira, thank you very much for your time. I appreciate it. Thanks a million, June.